Guys, go with me today to Genesis chapter 45. I'm going to read verses 1 through 8, and I'm in the NLT version uh, today. But as you are going there, I want to give you some background. It's a, it's a lot of background uh, around this story of a young man named Joseph. Uh, so Joseph was favored by his father. Uh, those of you who have some sort of church reference, maybe you are familiar with the coat of many colors. Uh, it was a special uh, coat and garment that was made for Joseph because of who he was and where his father was at in his age. Uh, a lot of people even believe that it was because he had a different, uh, a different mother. And so we see that the, the father has favor uh, for this younger son. And oftentimes when Joseph would go out with his brothers, he would come back and he would report. He was the snitch, right? He would, he would say what the brothers were doing wrong. So obviously this would irritate them. So not only does their father have favor, but he's going back and he's reporting these things. So we see early on there's some tension that's developing within his relationship with his brothers. His father sends them one day to go check on his brothers. And as his brothers see him coming, they begin to plot, they begin to scheme, they begin to talk about Joseph and this young man who's having dreams and thinking one day he's going to lord over him and all of these things. And they begin to talk about taking his life. And so as he's coming closer, they, they, they grab him, they're thinking about murdering him. And one of the older brothers helps them out and says, hey man, let's not shed blood, let's actually... Just put him in the pit and let's let him die there. Let's not have his, his, his blood on our hands. But in his mind, he was going to come back and rescue Joseph out of the pit. While this is happening, some Midianite uh, traders are coming through on their way to Egypt. And the other brothers sell Joseph into slavery to these Midianite traders. So Joseph st starts this journey of uh, being abandoned by his brothers, being betrayed, being sold as it's not a good start. <laughs> it's not a good journey uh, that is happening and is going on. So he ends up in a man named Potiphar's house. Is there that he's accused of sexual misconduct. He's actually put into jail. And it's there there's two gentlemen that, that are there. They begin to have dreams. They once had worked for Pharaoh. And he's able to interpret these dreams. One gets released, remembers Joseph, when Pharaoh starts having these dreams that nobody around him can interpret, Joseph, because of the grace of God, because of the wisdom of God, because of the gift of God on his life, is brought before the Pharaoh, is able to interpret these dreams, tell him what's going to happen. And Pharaoh says, you are a wise man. We're going to actually put you in charge to begin to get things in order for when the famine is going to come. And this famine, it doesn't only affect Egypt, it affects people all around the, the region and the area. So there are people that are coming and they're looking for food when this famine begins to happen. This is where Joseph encounters his brothers once again, but they don't recognize him. So now he is this, this man who is in a position of authority. Uh, he is second none other to, to Pharaoh himself. He has all this control and, and is governing and doing all of these things. And now he has, he's facing his brothers. He's very strategic. He kind of plays this cat and mouse game with them uh, to get information. And eventually he gets them to bring his younger brother, Benjamin, uh, to them. And then some things begin to happen. And this is where we're going to pick up here in the scripture today. 
I'm reading Genesis chapter 45. This is the NLT verses 1 through 8. It said, Joseph could stand it no longer. There were many people in the room, and he said to his attendants, out, all of you. So he was alone with his brothers when he told them who he was. Then he broke down and wept. He wept so loudly the Egyptians could hear him. And word of it quickly carried to Pharaoh's palace. I am Joseph, he said to his brothers. Is my father still alive? But his brothers were speechless. They were stunned to realize that Joseph was standing there in front of them. Please come closer, he said to them. So they came closer. And he said again, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery in Egypt. But don't be upset and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. This famine that has ravaged the land for two years and will last five more years and there will be neither plowing nor harvesting, God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors. So it was God who sent me here, not you, and he is the one who made me an advisor to Pharaoh, the manager of his entire palace and the governor of all Egypt. God, we thank you for the reading of your word. We thank you that your, your word is sharp. Uh, we thank you that it is alive and it's acting and it's moving uh, and it's speaking right now into our circumstance, into our situation, into the things that are happening and going on in our life. God, we trust your word. You are faithful and we love you. We thank you for your kindness and your generosity towards us. Uh, and we pray that you, you move in this moment. Holy Spirit, come and have your way. We love you. We honor you. We ask these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in the month of November. <laughs> Welcome. It has happened very quickly. It seems like we blinked our eyes and here we are. And I know November can be a very stressful time. Uh, it can be filled with anxiety. People can feel very overwhelmed because of, because of last minute deadlines. Uh, because of the, the, the demand on your time. Uh, maybe you're trying to get in those last uh, weekly projects. There's, there's so much stuff that's going on, along with all the stuff that you need to continue to keep doing, being present with your, your families and your, and your kids and your friends and all of these other things. And I think when we're unable to, to process and to handle the stress and the anxiety that comes with the time, it can lead us into a dark place. It can spiral us in, in, into depression. It can take us into despair. And I think oftentimes we, we don't know what to do with that, right? We find ourselves stuck, paralyzed, um, and not knowing how to handle it. I love how the Lord always makes a way. He provides. How he has uniquely created us, our bodies, when we posture ourselves in a place of gratitude, our body actually releases chemicals. One of those chemicals is oxytocin. Uh, when a woman is pregnant and she, she births her child, uh, 
This chemical is also released. It helps the child and the mother actually bond together. So this chemical oxytocin, it helps us sleep better. It helps us have more of a positive attitude. Uh, there's research that's been done that it just creates a lot of positivity in our lives. So God has given us something very practical, but also supernatural in our lives to combat stress, to combat anxiety, to combat uh, these feelings of being overwhelmed is when we, when we move into a place of, of gratitude, gratitude for within the circumstance of, of seeing him move in the midst, uh, gratitude within places and, and, and things and with people. And there's a beautiful story in the scripture today about how all these things happen in Joseph's life and how he chooses to posture himself um, that serves not only him, but serves his family and so many others. It says when his brothers, when they bring his, his, his younger brother back, it says that he can't stand it anymore. He, he can't withhold this, this secret of who he is. His brothers have been engaging with them and they're interacting with them and they still have no idea that this is the brother that they sold into slavery. Joseph has assimilated into the Egyptian culture so well that his own blood, his own family, they don't even recognize him. He has an Egyptian life. He has an Egyptian wife. He has an Egyptian career. He has Egyptian children. He even names his first son Manasseh, which says, God has, has helped me forget about my family and all of my troubles. So he's, he's recreated himself. He is living a life where he can leave his past behind. He can leave the, the, the hurt, the pain, all of these things that have happened. He doesn't have to deal with them. He doesn't have to think about them. He, he's just assimilated into something totally different, and he's living a life where he's no longer attached to, to the story. But in this moment where he's with his brothers, something begins to happen in his heart and in his life, and he can't take it anymore. He can't keep living this, this life that he has created. He, He's ready. He's ready to, to share with his, with his brothers this, this emotion that's building up inside of him. But he doesn't want to do it in front of his attendants. Now, remember, he was one of the most powerful men in Egypt at the time. So there's all these servants and people that are attending to them, and he's, he sends them out. They, they can't see me like this, this thing that is boiling up inside of me that's getting ready to come out. They can't see me in this way. And so he sends the attendants out. And now he's standing alone with his brothers. He's standing alone with his brothers. The same way that he was standing alone years ago. But it's not just Joseph that's standing in the room with his brothers. It's the little boy who Joseph was that's also standing in the room. He was standing alone when he was coming 
to check upon his brothers. His father had sent him. He was standing alone with his brothers when they were plotting murder. He was standing alone with his brothers when they de decided to, to sell him, to throw him into a pit. He was standing alone. There's this little boy that's inside of this grown man in this time that's in the room. And for the first time, this is happening again. And it is traumatizing and it is difficult and it is emotional. And all of these things are happening inside of Joseph and he can't control it. And he breaks down and he begins to cry. But a man in his position with his authority is not supposed to be crying. He's not supposed to let people see him like this. He's not supposed to uh, allow himself to get to a place where he's showing this type of emotion. This is why he sent his attendants away. He doesn't want them to see this, but they didn't have to see it because they heard it. Something comes out of Joseph that has never been heard before in Egypt. It is a cry of lament. This pain, this hurt, this disappointment, this letdown from his family, these expectations that he had, it all comes out in this moment. And it doesn't have words, but it's saying a lot. It says the Egyptians heard him. It doesn't just it's not just talking about the attendants. It says the Egyptians heard them. The sound is echoing throughout the country. This is how painful this is, how much of a burden it's been that he's been carrying. Something is happening on the inside of Joseph. Something's happening. It's it's sorrow. It's pain, it's hurt, it's bitterness, it's all the emotions that would be attached to the journey that he has experienced. But it's also healing. My family and I, we were, several years ago, we were blessed uh, to be a part of a, a church community and they would host these weekends called Encounter Weekends. Uh, and it was themed as 48 hours in the presence of the Lord. And so they, they, they had these encounter weekends separate for, for men and for women. And so there was a men's weekend that was coming up. Um, and I was ready. I was prepared. I, I was in the season of my, my life and in my walk where I really felt like I needed this time away. It's no cell phones. It's no outside contact. It's just you and God for 48 hours uh, in the presence of the Lord. And so I was excited about it and I was looking forward to it. And this would have been one of the first weekends that our church was having. We had a sister church that was actually sending uh, men and other leaders down to like facilitate this space for us. So I'm, I'm making my plans. I got my sheet, my prayer points, fasting up and up into the weekend. And then something happens. I can't even remember what it was, but I had to end up going out of town and missing the weekend. But there was a group of guys that they, they went, they took them off into a remote place and they would stay the weekend and they would come back to church and our gathering on a Sunday morning and they would pick 
uh, guys who are open to share their, their testimony of what God did with their, with their time away. And I remember there was a young man, he was, he was similar around my, my, my age, and he began to share what God had did in his heart that weekend. And he began to talk about his father. And he began to talk about these wounds that he had that he had suppressed for so many years. And, and he was talking about the deep pain and the sorrow and the hurt that he had been carrying but ignoring. And as he's sharing his testimony of what God was doing in his life, but also these things that he had experienced, I could identify with what he was saying. I could see myself in him. And so something is happening in me as he's sharing this story. As he's giving his testimony, the Holy Spirit is ministering to me and he's doing something in my heart. So after uh, each of the men gave a, a short testimony, they, in, they open it up for prayer and they invite men who were there that morning uh, to come and to get prayed for. Like if you weren't able to make it to the weekend, uh, we're inviting you to come up so we can pray with you. I'm not one to make a move like that. <laughs> I'd rather <laughs> sit in my seat and chill. And I found myself like I was in a Spike Lee movie. I don't know if you've ever seen it. At the end of the movies, there's a person standing there and everything around them is moving. It was like I was floating up <laughs> to the front and I couldn't stop myself from moving. And I found myself in front of this, this older gentleman who looked just like my father. And he had his arms open. And he, he grabbed me and he embraced me. And he hugged me. And I just remember, it, I, I, sometimes when you're a guy, you, you, you give that, that stiff kind of handshake or that, that hug that you, you pat on the back. <laughs> but for the first time, my arms and my body went limp. And I, I fell into the arms of this older man. And I heard something I heard a sound come out of me that I had never heard before. It wasn't coming from here, but it was, it was coming from the depths of my soul, and I began to cry out. I wasn't worried about who was in the room. I wasn't worried about who was around me. There was something that was coming out of me. It was coming out of this wound. It was coming out of this hurt and this pain and this disappointment and the, 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 the lack of having expectations getting met that I had been carrying this burden where I had tried to act like I had it all together, but inside I was carrying and holding on to this thing. There was a cry that came out of me that spoke. And it was a moment that was sacred. It was a moment that was holy. And it was a moment that was healing. And it was the beginning of the work that God would continue to do in me. This is where Joseph is at. He's alone with his brothers. And finally, for the first time, all of this junk, this stuff that he had been carrying inside of him, it, it comes out. And then he reveals himself to them. He says, I'm Joseph. I'm Joseph. <laughs> He's been waiting to say this. I'm Joseph. 
But then in the next breath, he says, is my father still alive? This is the thing that had been burning in his heart. This is the question that he had. Is my father still living? Can you imagine you've recreated your life? You like second in command in one of the most powerful civilizations that's ever existed. You have authority. People are tending to you. But there's this burning question inside of you. Is my father still living? Joseph had this overnight story, a story of success where people would look at him and they'd say, man, he went from the prison to the palace. Everything is right for him. Everything is good for him. He had wisdom and understanding beyond all the other magi and sages and wise men. He was the only one that could interpret what the Pharaoh was dreaming about. But yet he cannot answer this one question for himself. And it was a question that was impacting his current health. It was something buried deep down inside of him that he always wondered about, that he always cared about, but wouldn't allow himself to even speak about it. But he says, is my father still alive? Is he still alive? And then he reminds him again, it's, it's me. <laughs> it's Joseph. It's Joseph. The one you sold into slavery. So he speaks about the, the, the elephant in the room. Not only does he identify himself, but now he talks about this, this, this tense thing, right, that happened. They know and he knows that they sold him into slavery, but nobody has said it yet. So he doesn't just give his identity, but he actually names the thing that happened. And his brothers, they, they, they can't believe it. They don't know what to do. They're stunned. They're paralyzed. Do they, do they run? Do they fight? Do they, do they cry? Should they, be, should they be afraid? What, what should they do in this moment? Because it's not just Joseph that's having to deal with his past and his story, but it's also the brothers. The brothers are standing in front of the one that they sold, their brother. They're standing in front of the one that they were meditating, killing, the one that they threw in the pit, the dreamer, the one who they thought their, their dad favored. They're standing in front of him, and they're having to deal with these, these things in their own story that they thought had been forgotten and that they would never have to face again. But now in their lack, in their need, in their famine, the, the family sin that has been covered up for so long is now exposed. It's exposed. The harm that they meant to bring to Joseph, the evil thoughts, the actions that they took, in the midst of this famine, in the midst of their lack, in the middle of coming to the end of themselves, what they have done has risen to the surface. And they're now having to deal with condemnation. They're now having to deal with the shame 
and the guilt of it. They, they, they also are, are wrestling. They also are, are dealing with this tension. And he's not just their brother now anymore. He is an authority. He is in command. He has power to do whatever he wants to do with their lives. So what do they do? Joseph, he sees the room and he understands and he knows what's happening. He can hear the thoughts. He knows what's going through their mind. And he says, come closer. He says, come closer. Come near to me. Come into proximity. Come in, in, into my space. Don't be far off. It's because of the work, the healing that has started in Joseph that he's now able to say, I'm willing to face this thing that I haven't been willing to face for years. I'm willing to confront it. I'm, I'm, I'm willing to be near it. I'm willing to deal with it. I'm willing to face my past and my story. I'm not hiding from it anymore. This thing has happened in my life and you are here and I'm saying, come close. Come close. It's, it's me, it's Joseph. It's your brother. And then again, he names. He names what has happened. It's the one you, I'm the one you sold into slavery. It's me. It's your brother. When I was in university, there was a, a, a group of friends that I had. And when Thursday hit, uh, it was it was drinking time. It was weekend time. It was time to turn up. We, we, our weekend started on, <laughs> on Thursdays. So we drink on Thursdays, and then typically on Fridays, uh, there would be a party that somebody would have. So there, there was a party uh, on Friday that particular night. Uh, there was a, a street in the area that I, that I stayed in. It was similar to Long Street here in Cape Town. And so the, there was a place off of that street that we were going to go to the party. We're all intoxicated. I'm the only smart one that said I'll drive. <laughs> So I'm drinking and I'm driving. I have this little small bucky. The other guys jump in the back of the bucky. So I'm driving. As we're driving, one of the guys that's in the back of the truck throws a bottle out the truck. The police see it, bicycle police see it. They get behind us. I don't pull over. I'm nervous. I wait till we get close to the party, and then I pull over. And by that time, there's two or three police that are on the scene. I am afraid. I know I've been drinking. I know if, <laughs> if they catch me, I'm going to jail. So I had a brilliant idea. I said, let me get out and run. So, <laughs> and I'll turn myself in tomorrow. So I get out and run. I'm so intoxicated. I run straight to the police. I run straight <laughs> into them. And I'm still trying to get away. Man, I end up coming out of my shirt. I'm on the ground. They finally wrestle me to the ground. They get me in cuffs. It's a scene. Everybody that was in the parties outside, they're trying to figure out what's going on. Who is this dude? So they get me cuffed, and then I go to jail. And I have to make a call for my people to come, to, to come get me out. And then a couple of days later, we found out that the state, right, the government, and their representatives were wanting to prosecute me. 
And the words that they used were, we want to make an example out of him. I had a, a fake ID on me, which was, a, which was a felony. They gave me resisting arrest, fleeing the scene. And there was an officer as he was wrestling me to the ground, tore his pants. And because of that, they gave me a third degree battery charge. So they throw these four charges at me and they set a court date. The prosecuting attorney tells me, if you take this to court and you lose, there is a minimum of a year that you will spend in jail. If you lose a minimum of a year, you could get more. There's a minimum of a year for these charges. But <laughs> you can plea bargain, right? So this is uh, ad admitting to it and taking a lesser penalty. You can plea bargain and we'll give you three months in jail and we'll expunge your record. We'll take this off of your, your record. I am a teenager. I'm 18, 19 years old. I I'm just drinking partying, trying to have fun. I'm not a criminal. I don't want to go to jail. I don't want to go to jail. I'd never been to jail before. And now I am having to face the, the consequences of the decisions that I made, but there is some unfairness in it. And so I, I end up going and spending time in the county jail for three months. This is not the place that I ever thought I would be. I had never dreamed about being in that place. I never thought ever in my life would I be in that place. When I was drinking that night, that day, I never thought that the decisions that I was making would lead me to that place. I never thought that the people who were in my vehicle would lead me to that place. This is not where I wanted to be. But it was God who sent me there. I was living a very wild life on the path to destruction. And God used this in my life to help slow me down. He used it. He also used this place to turn me into a reader. During those three months, I read over 40 to 50 books. I became a reader in that place. I became a researcher. I am a reader and a researcher today because the time that I spent there. He also used the place to separate me from a group of people and a group of friends that did not have my best interest in mind. It actually protected me and saved me from something else more serious that would happen down the road with this group of friends. It was the Lord who sent me there. Seven years passes. And I enter into ministry. I'm a pastor now. From the jail cell <laughs> to the church, I'm a pastor. 
I got my, my, my second pastoral position at a church. It's my first week at the church. Walking through the, the, the halls and I run into the head of security. And I recognize this man's face. It's the police officer. It's the police officer who tore his pants that night when I was a teenager that I got the third, the third degree battery charge from. And my words to him was come close, come near. I'm the guy that night, I'm the person that you guys wrestled to the ground. This is me. I was open and now willing to face my story and my, and my past and the, and the things in it. And to not just face it, but to identify and speak about like what happened. This is what Joseph is saying to his brothers. And he goes on, he's, he, he doesn't just say it, but he, as I mentioned, he can read the room. And he starts telling them, God sent me. Don't be angry with yourself. Don't be upset with yourself. This is not to justify what they did. This is not saying it's okay what they did to sell somebody into slavery and to think about murdering somebody. That's not what Joseph is saying. He's saying the evil that you intended for me, the harm that you intended, I see God's hand in it. God was in it with me and he used the things that you were trying to uh, bring against me and he used them for my good. And I, now I am in a posture where I can appreciate God's hand in this place. He said, God sent me to this place. There was something significant about the place. It was God who sent him to Egypt. There was something specific and meaningful about Egypt, and that is the place where God wanted Joseph. And it didn't happen in the way Joseph wanted it to happen. It wasn't comfortable. It wasn't easy. It was difficult, and it was hard. And there was a lot of emotion and a lot of loss and a lot of disappointment and a lot of scars that were a part of the journey that have led him to the place. But he's able to step back and to appreciate God used all of those things for me to be in this place, in this position that I'm in now. He is mature enough. He is wise enough. He has eyes to see where he can posture himself in a place of gratitude for what God has did in the midst of disaster. And he even goes on to tell him, <laughs> He didn't just send me here for no reason. He sent me ahead of you. He sent me ahead of you because when I was having those dreams as a little boy, it wasn't just about me lording over you guys. It was about me going before you and being provision. Not only for our family, but many other survivors and families that would need food. We are only in the second year of this famine. There will be five more years. God has positioned me in a place that has resources, in a place that has, has 
power and authority to be able to do these things. Nations and people will come from all over the area that we get to feed and we get to serve. It was to preserve life. It was for God to take care of his children. But there was a place that I needed to be. And the place didn't look like maybe what I wanted it to look like. The place was not comfortable. The place didn't have my family in it when I got there. It didn't have my people. It didn't have my culture. The customs and the values were different. The, the, the place was a hard place for me. But God moved in the midst of the place. And I'm able to see his hand in it. And I'm able to posture myself in a way where I can be thankful and grateful for what he's doing in it. I think so many times when we look in our own journeys and stories, it could be a physical place. It could be where we come from where we live, where we stay now, maybe we've moved from that place. It could be a job. It could be a season of life, but it's a place that we were at and God used it. He used it. He was in the midst of it. He was moving and working and doing something for our good and not just for us, but for other people. And I think when we can look back when we can look in it and see God's hand and see him moving and appreciate it and have a heart of gratitude, man, something begins to happen. Something begins to move us and form us and shape us into his image and into his likeness. But it's a choice. We have to choose <laughs> to be in a posture of gratitude. We have to choose to see things with the glass half full, not half empty. He invites us into it. Scripture even says, enter into my courts with praise and thanksgiving. There's no conditions attached to that. He doesn't say if you feel good. He doesn't say if things are going right in your life. He doesn't say if, if uh, things are thriving and flourishing. No, it's an invitation to enter into his courts with gratitude, with thankfulness for who he is and that he's moving in the midst of all reality. He's moving in the midst of people trying to harm us and do evil stuff to us. He's moving in it and he'll take it and he'll use it, not only to preserve our life, but for others. I want to encourage us and also challenge us today as we look into the places that God has used in our life and that he is using to posture ourselves in a place of gratitude. We were able to actually live and, and, and go through the place because of his presence in our life. Man, thank you, Lord. Thank you for where I grew up at. It's made me resilient. Thank you for, for, for where I come from. 
has shaped me and made me who I am. Thank you for the, for the lessons, the hard lessons. Thank you for every single thing in my story. Because we overcome by the blood of Jesus and the word of our testimony. And I'm thankful for that. Thankful for my story. May we be a people who can look at the places and posture ourselves in a place of gratitude. Bow your heads. I want to pray with you. God, we, we thank you. We thank you for stories like Joseph. Man, what a difficult and hard life. What a crazy journey. He is literally betrayed by his family. He's sold into slavery. Not only that, he ends up in, he ends up in prison. Undeservedly. But still, in the midst of everything that's happened, he's able to be thankful. He's able to give you the glory. He's able to see a bigger picture. He's able to posture himself in a, in a place of gratitude. God, would you allow us, would you strengthen us, would you help us to see what you're doing, what you've done? Remind us of your faithfulness. Remind us of your goodness. Remind us of how maybe we, we, we bent, but we didn't break. Help us to see things how you see them. Help, them to see, help us to see them as full and not empty. We pray that you continue the work that you started in our hearts as we go through this, this month of November that you'll help us to be a people of gratitude, of thankfulness. And in that, you'll continue to move and form and shape us into your son's image. And it's in his name that we ask these things. Amen.